reading tonight comes from Ephesians chapter 2, verses 11 through 19. Therefore remember that one at a one time, you Gentiles in the flesh, called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands. Remember that you were at the time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the, the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace. By abolishing the law of commandments expressed in, ordin in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace, and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And he came and preached peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near. For through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. You may be seated. Next song this evening will be We Bow Down. You are Lord of creation and Lord of my life, Lord of the land and the sea. You were Lord of the heavens before there was time, and Lord of all, Lord, you will be. We bow down and we worship you, Lord, we bow down and we worship you, Lord, we bow down and we worship you, Lord, Lord of all, Lord, you will be. You are King of creation and King of my life, King of the land and the sea. You were King of the heavens before there was time, and King of all kings you will be. We bow down and we crown you the King. We bow down and we crown you the King. We bow down and we crown you the King. King of all kings you will be. Our song before the lesson will be Blessed Be Your Name. Now, I'm not sure, have we ever sang this? this new to anybody? Raise your hand if you sang this song before. Alright, that's enough to keep it up then. Alright. <clears throat> Blessed be your name in a land that is plentiful where your streams of abundance flow. Blessed be your name. Blessed be your name when I'm found in the desert place. Though I walk through the wilderness, blessed be your name. Every blessing you pour out, I turn back to praise. When the darkness closes in, Lord, still I will say, Blessed be the name of the Lord, blessed be your name. 
I messed that one up here. Let's start right here. Let's go a little bit lower. I messed you up. I'm sorry. <coughs> Chris, if you go, let's go to the next verse here. All right, here we go. Sorry about that, guys. We'll get this one maybe right. <coughs> Blessed be your name when the sun's shining down on me. When the world's all as it should be, blessed be your name. Blessed be your name on a road marked with suffering. Though there's pain in the offering, blessed be your name. Every blessing you pour out, I turn back to praise. When the darkness closes in, Lord, still I will say, Blessed be the name of the Lord. Blessed be your name. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Blessed be your glorious name. You give and take away. You give and take away. My heart will choose to say, Lord, blessed be your name. You give and take away. You give and take away. My heart will choose to say, Lord, blessed be your name. You give and take away. You give and take away. My heart will choose to say, Lord, blessed be your name. You give and take away. You give and take away. My heart will choose to say, Lord, blessed be your name. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Blessed be your name. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Blessed be your glorious name. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Blessed be your name. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Blessed be your glorious name. Good job. Y'all went through that like champs. Our invitation song will be Make Me a Servant. Good evening. It's good to be back together tonight, having some more time to spend in worship to our God, now having an opportunity to study His Word, to continue to walk throughout the book of Ephesians. If you don't know the drill by now, if you're not there from our Scripture reading, I'd love for you to join me in Ephesians chapter 2. If you have your Bibles and you're able to follow along, Ephesians chapter 2. And tonight we're going to be looking at the back end of that chapter, verses 11 through 19, as we continue to study the book of Ephesians and work our way throughout the book of Ephesians we're ready for Ephesians chapter 2, verses 11 through 19. 
I don't know how many people in here tonight like to watch professional basketball. I don't know how many people like to watch the NBA. But in 2019, in the Eastern Conference semifinals, maybe some of you remember this, the Toronto Raptors played the Philadelphia 76ers. If you're familiar with NBA basketball, if you're familiar with the playoffs, they play a seven-game series in the playoffs. So whoever wins four games, that's who wins the series. That's who's able to move on, and the other team goes home. Their season is over. Well, at this point, the Raptors had won three games, and the 76ers had won three games. So this was game seven. Whoever won would go to the Eastern Conference Finals and have a chance to go to the finals, the championship, and whoever lost, well, they weren't going to play again until the next season. There were four seconds left in the game, and they were tied at 90 apiece. The Toronto Raptors were throwing in the ball. I think that's Mark Gasol throwing in the ball there. They throw it in to probably their best player at the time, Kawhi Leonard. Kawhi Leonard takes the basketball. He dribbles around the arc, dribbles around the three-point line to the far corner. He pulls up the shot. And the ball leaves his hand as the clock expires. I mean, you can see in the picture, he's like fading away almost out of bounds in the far corner, taking the shot, shooting over a seven-foot defender by the name of Joel Embiid. The ball leaves his hand. The buzzer goes off. The ball hits the rim. Then it hits the rim again. Then it hits the rim again. Then it hits the rim again. Four times. And it fell in. Of course, the Raptors thought it was the greatest thing to ever happen. And they were celebrating as soon as the ball went in. They ran over to Kawhi Leonard and picked him up off the ground and began celebrating. The 76ers stood there with kind of a dumbfounded look on their face, wondering what in the world just happened. When you think about that shot from Kawhi Leonard, it was almost an all-or-nothing shot. If he made the shot then they would advance to the next round and have a shot to go to the finals. If you remember the 2019 season, the Raptors actually ended up winning the finals. And perhaps that goes back to the shot that Kawhi Leonard made as the buzzer expired in Game 7 of the Eastern Conference semifinals. If he missed the shot, then they were going to go into overtime. There was a good chance that the 76ers would beat them in overtime. And if that would have happened, they wouldn't have went to the Eastern Conference Finals, and if they wouldn't have went to the Eastern Conference Finals, they wouldn't have been crowned the NBA champions. It was a shot that was all or nothing. That shot changed everything for the Raptors as they continued forward in their season and as they continued forward in the playoffs. What if I were to tell you that we live in a very similar situation as people. As human beings, speaking spiritually, it's all or nothing. Either we have everything spiritually, or we have nothing spiritually. There's no room in the middle. There's no situation where you can have one foot in everything spiritual and one foot in nothing spiritual. You can't stay in the middle about this. Spiritually speaking, each one of us make a decision. It's all or it's nothing. Do you know what the difference is between those two extremes? 
Do you know what the difference is between having everything spiritually, all spiritual blessings in Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 3, and having nothing spiritually? The difference is Jesus. Just like that shot from Kawhi Leonard made all the difference, just like it changed everything for the Toronto Raptors, Jesus is the one who changes everything for us. Jesus is the one who takes us from a position where we have nothing and places us in a position where we have everything. Jesus changes everything. And I love how Paul talks about that. As you look at the text that was just read for us, as we look at the text in front of us, Ephesians chapter 2, verses 11 through 19. As we begin to work our way into that text, I think it's important for us to note that Paul is narrowing his focus here. He's getting a little bit more specific. If you remember last week, we spent some time in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 10, talking about the salvation that God offers to all people. Remember verse 1? And we were dead in our trespasses and sins in which we once walked. But what happens when you get down to verse 4, verse 5, verse 6? The key words, but God, what has He done? He's made us alive with Jesus. You're telling me that one time I was dead in my sin, but now I've been made alive with Jesus. Paul says that's what we're able to experience as Christians. We've been raised up with Jesus. We've been seated with Jesus in the heavenly places. Paul talks about that as something that's available for all people. The salvation that God extends to every man and every woman. But then when you continue into Ephesians 2 verses 11 through 19, Paul gets... A little bit more specific. He narrows his focus just a little bit. Coming off of a conversation where he's talking about salvation for all people, he moves forward in 11 through 19 to talk about the salvation that God offered to the Gentiles in the first century. If you remember biblical history, throughout the entire Old Testament time, God's chosen people were the Israelites, the Jews. And so when you look in verse 11, notice how Paul narrows his focus. He says, therefore, remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh. He says, here's the salvation that God offers to all people in verses 1-10. through 10. Now let me get a little bit more specific and let me talk about the salvation that God has offered to the Gentiles. And in doing that, Paul emphasizes Jesus how Jesus is the one who changes everything. He takes us from having nothing to having everything. So as Paul begins to speak to these Gentiles in the church at Ephesus, he begins by inviting them to remember who they used to be. To remember where they were. Beginning in verse 11, Paul wants them to remember their uncircumcision. God's chosen people in the Old Testament time were the Jews. You go to Genesis chapter 17, God made a covenant with Abraham that he would bless all nations through his seed, through his descendant, and the sign of that covenant was what? It was circumcision. Every male Jew, if you were a male converting into Judaism, you had to be circumcised. Circumcision became so important that it became a symbol of their salvation. It became a symbol as their ethnic identity as God's chosen people. So Paul looks at the Gentiles and says, remember when you weren't a part of that? Remember 
when the Gentiles were the circumcision and they looked down on you and they made fun of you and they looked down their nose at you calling you the uncircumcision? We don't want to be like them. He says, I want you to remember where you were. Remember who you were before Jesus. Remember how you had absolutely nothing. Number two, he wants them to remember their separation from Christ. The Jews constantly lived in hope throughout the Old Testament time that a Messiah would come. That a a Christ or a Messiah would come in order to save them, in order to deliver them from the difficulties that they were going through. I mean, you find it in Genesis, the third chapter. Remember Genesis chapter 3 and verse 15, shortly after the fall, where God told the serpent that there's going to be enmity between him and the seed of woman? And the serpent is going to bite the seed of woman on the hill, but the seed of woman is going to crush the serpent's head. That's talking about Jesus. That's talking about how Jesus defeated the enemy and going to the cross. We talked a little bit about that this morning. The Jews would have looked at that and had hope that the Messiah would one day come. That that seed of woman would one day come. You go to Scriptures like Isaiah chapter 53, maybe one that we're familiar with, where the sinless Messiah would die on behalf of the sinful people. Or Psalms chapter 22, where it talks about how His hands and His feet were going to be pierced. It gives us maybe a picture, a window, into how Jesus felt on the cross. He quoted the first verse of Psalms 22 on the cross. My God, my God, why have You forsaken me. The Jews constantly lived with hope that a Christ, a Messiah would come, the anointed one would come to save them and deliver them. Paul says, Gentiles, remember when you didn't have that? Remember when you were separated from that? When you lived without that hope? You were separated from the hope of a Messiah? Number three, he says, I want you to remember your alienation. How you were a foreigner, a stranger, an alien to the commonwealth Or the citizenship, the community of Israel. That's in verse 12. I like how Clinton Arnold summarizes this. He says that the Jews were a group of people bound together. They were united by their ethnicity, being descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. They were bound together by their belief in one God, monotheism, their commitment to living under the governance of the Torah, the first five books of the Old Testament, and their status as being God's elect, God's chosen people, wherever they may have lived throughout the Mediterranean world. Whether they lived in Judea, whether they lived in Jerusalem, or whether they were scattered throughout the entire known world at the time, they had this citizenship, this community that connected them. They had all of these things that they found unity in. Paul looks at the Gentiles. Remember when you weren't a part of that? When you were alienated, separated, a foreigner, a stranger to the commonwealth, the community, the citizenship of Israel? Number four, he says, I want you to remember your distance from the covenants. There's a lot of people who wonder why Paul uses covenants in the plural instead of covenant in the singular. Well, when you go back to the Old Testament, there were a few different covenants that God made with His people. You have the Abrahamic covenant. We mentioned it a moment ago. I'm going to bless all nations through your seed. You have the Mosaic covenant, which became the Mosaic law. You have the Davidic covenant, where God made a covenant with David that there will always be a person reigning and sitting on your throne. A promise that's ultimately fulfilled in our Lord Jesus. Whether Paul is talking about all three of those whether he's talking about some of those, whether he's talking about covenants that we didn't put up on the screen tonight, 
He wants the Gentiles to remember their distance from these covenants. God had these covenants. He made these promises with His chosen people and the Gentiles didn't have a part of it. They were strangers, foreigners to it. They were on the outside looking in. Number five, He wants them to remember their hopelessness. How they lived without hope. Can you imagine what a life would be like without hope? What would your daily life be like if you had to live it with no hope? That's where the Gentiles were. They were separated from the hope of a Messiah. They were separated from the hope of eternal life. All that they had was what's right in front of them. Which leads perfectly into what he says about them at the end of verse 12. That the Gentiles, he says, I want you to remember how you were living without God in the world. That first, they were living in the world. They were living worldly, sinful lives. We read last week from Ephesians chapter 4 how Paul describes what that Gentile world looked like. The sin and the wickedness and the darkness that existed. The blindness that they had. They were living in the world. But perhaps the saddest statement that Paul makes about the Gentiles in Ephesians 2 is that they were without God. Yes, they were living in the world, but they were also without God. They didn't know what it was like to have a relationship with God. I want you to remember where you were, Paul says. I want you to remember your uncircumcision, your separation from the Messiah, your alienation from the commonwealth citizenship of Israel, your distance from the covenants, your hopelessness, the lives that you were living in the world, the lives that you were living without God. If you take that and boil that down, what did the Gentiles have spiritually? Absolutely nothing. He says, I want you to look back at this time where you had nothing spiritually and you claimed nothing spiritually. Well, Paul talking about that to the Gentiles can invite us to think about us, can it? At one time, all of us were at a point where we had nothing spiritually. Absolutely nothing. Not a drop in the bucket. Maybe it's the case that some of us are still there right now. If you're living outside of Christ, remember the emphasis on in Christ throughout Ephesians. If you're living outside of Jesus, if you've never committed your life to Jesus, then you still have nothing spiritually. We all know what it's like to be there. But thanks be to God that we don't have to stay there. The good news is, is that we can go from a place where we have nothing spiritually to a place where we have everything spiritually. All spiritual blessings in Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 3. And that's what Paul focuses on throughout the rest of the text. In verses 13 through 18, he wants them to realize who they are. He says, remember who you were. Remember who you used to be. And now look at who you are. Remember back in that time where you had nothing. Now I want you to realize that you have everything. What makes up the difference? What did we say as we started? Jesus is the difference between having nothing and everything. Jesus is the one who changes everything in our lives. He's the one who changed everything for the Gentiles. Take a minute to look at what He did. That number one, Jesus brought them near. 
Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 13. There was a point where the Gentiles could not have been further away from God. They were separated from Christ. They were living without God in the world. There was a point where they couldn't have gotten further away from God. There couldn't have been more distance there. But what has Jesus done? By the death that He was willing to die, the sacrifice He was willing to make, the blood He was willing to shed, He's taken those who were near, rather far, and brought them close. At one time, the Gentiles couldn't have been farther away from God. But now, they couldn't be closer to God. And it's all about Jesus. Jesus changed everything for them by the death He was willing to die and the blood that He was willing to shed. Number two, Jesus brought them peace. You find that emphasized a couple times in verses 14 and 15. Maybe you noticed on our Scripture reading, we read verse 15 twice. That's a pretty important verse, isn't it? No, that was a mistake. But when you look at verse 15, it's powerful, isn't it? How Paul talks about Jesus is our peace. Jesus has brought peace. You find that word several different times throughout this passage, and I think it can apply in a number of different ways. Jesus brought the Gentiles peace with God. Go to Romans chapter 5 and struggle with that sometime. How Paul says in Romans chapter 5, we were enemies of God, around verse 8, but verse 1, we now have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. They were able to be at peace with their Creator, number one, but number two, they were also able to be at peace with themselves, even us. We struggle with shame. We struggle with guilt over sins that we've committed in the past. And Paul says, no, Jesus has brought them peace. They can be at peace with themselves. Their sins have been forgiven. Their sins have been blotted out. Their sins have been taken out of the way. And so they can be at peace with themselves. But really the main gist of this passage is, is the third idea. That Jesus has brought peace between the Jews and Gentiles. The Jews and Gentiles couldn't have been more different. Look at their lifestyles. Look at their beliefs. Look at the things they involved themselves in, even just the way that they dressed, the way that they ate, they could not be more at odds with one another. With the hostility that existed between the two groups. What did Jesus do in verses 14 and 15? He took the two, two groups that couldn't be more different and made them into one new man. Brought them into one body. Two different groups brought into the same group and it's not about them, but it's about Jesus. Jesus brought them peace in verses 14 and 15. Peace with God, peace with themselves, and peace with one another. Number three, Jesus brought them unity. Again, take a look at verses 14 and 15 there. How at the end of 14, the Bible says that Jesus has broken down in His flesh the dividing wall of hostility. Well, how did He do that in 15? By abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that He might create in Himself one new man in the place of the two. I think that Paul is using a pretty interesting illustration there. If you were to go to the temple in the first century, you walk through the front doors, the part that's closest to you. Immediately what you would walk into, I think it's labeled number 8, is the court of the Gentiles. That's where the Gentiles could go in the temple and it's as far as they could go in the temple. You see that 
little rectangle wall surrounding what would be the holy place and the most holy place. That's called the sereg. It was a four and a half foot tall wall that separated the court of the Gentiles from the courts where the Jews would go into. The more holy parts of the temple. It separated the two groups and kept the Gentiles from entering into those more holy places. Well, what has Jesus done when you look at verse 14? He's broken down the wall. He's broken down the barrier that existed between those two groups. It's like Paul's using the illustration that the sereg has been removed out of the way. Jesus has broke down that four and a half foot wall. Now the Gentiles are able to enter into the most holy parts of who God is. The Jews and Gentiles are able to walk into God's holy presence together. That's the point that Paul is making. It's the illustration that he's using. Well, How did he do it? Jesus removed what separated the two groups. What separated the Jews from the Gentiles? Again, verse 15, the law of commandments expressed in ordinances. Those 613 commands that you find throughout the Old Testament law, that's what separated the Jews from the Gentiles. What did Jesus do? He moved that law out of the way. He, Jesus removed what separated the two groups, the wall that existed between them so that they could come together. So that He could take two old groups, two groups who were at odds with one another, and create one new man. To put it simply, Jesus brought them unity. Number four, Paul wants them to realize that Jesus has reconciled them to God. That's not just something for the Gentiles. But it's something that's also for the Jews. Whenever you look in verse 16, that He might reconcile us both to God, notice unity again, in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. Both Jew and Gentile were reconciled to God, brought into the right relationship with God through the cross through the sacrifice that Jesus was willing to make, through the blood that Jesus was willing to shed, two groups brought into the same body, reconciled to the same God, because Jesus was willing to lay His life down on their behalf. He killed the hostility that existed between them and God, and He killed the hostility that existed between the Jews and Gentiles. Number five, Jesus preached to them. He preached... Verse 17, preach peace to those who were near, and He preached peace to those who were far. Perhaps in that, He's referring to what Isaiah talks about. In Isaiah chapter 57 and verse 19, where it's almost a verbatim quote, God preaches peace to those who were far and peace to those who were near. In the context of Isaiah 57 though, God is talking about Babylonian captivity. He's preaching a message of peace to those who are far. Those who have gone off into Babylon. Those who have been taken into captivity. He's preaching peace to those who were near. Those who stayed home. The remnant that wasn't taken into Babylon. Paul looks at that and says, let's talk about what Jesus has done in the church. He preached peace to those who were far. The Gentiles. Those who were far off from God, without God in the world, those who were separated from Christ, Jesus preached peace to them. But Jesus also preached peace to those who were near. Just because the, the Jews were closer to God than the Gentiles didn't mean that they were exempt from following Jesus. 
didn't mean that they could just continue in their way of life. No, he preached peace to those who were far, the Gentiles. He preached peace to those who were near, the Jews, preaching the same message regardless of where they were. Regardless of how close they were, regardless of how far away they were, they received a message that they could be at peace with God, they could be at peace with themselves, and they could be at peace with one another. And it all goes back to Jesus. Then, number six, Jesus gave the Gentiles access to the Father. Maybe sometimes we wish we could have access to really important people. Government officials, celebrities. We wish we had their phone numbers so that we could call them, so that we could have access to them. Like we said a minute ago, the Gentiles could not have been farther away from God. They could not have had more of a distance between them and their Creator. But look at what Jesus has done. He's given them unlimited access to the Father. Notice the Trinity in verse 18. We serve a God who is one in three and three in one. Who do the Gentiles have access to? They have access to the Father. How do they have access to the Father? They have access to the Father through the Son, Paul says. How do they have access to the Father through the Son? Look at the text. In one Spirit. I believe talking about the Holy Spirit. Paul looks at the Gentiles and says, look at where you are. Look at this change. Look at this transformation. This transition that's taken place. Jesus, the Son, is active in your life. The Spirit is active in your life. And because of that, you have unlimited access to the throne room of God. What a powerful idea. So, let's take just a minute to step back from this text and to see what we've been studying. Paul looks at the Gentiles and talks about their all or nothing situation. He says, remember where, when you were in a position where you had nothing spiritually. Think about your uncircumcision. Your separation from, from Christ. Alienation from the commonwealth of Israel. Distance from the covenants. Remember how you had lives without hope. Lives without God in the world. He says you were in a place where you had nothing. But look at the change. Look at the transformation. Realize where you are. Here's where you were. But now here's where you are. You've been brought near to Jesus. You have peace. You have unity with someone that you were at odds with. You've been reconciled to God. Jesus has preached to you. You've been given unlimited access to the throne room of the Father. I think a pretty good summary of that is found in verse 19. Where Paul says, So then you are no longer strangers and aliens. That's who you were, he says. But it's not who you are anymore. You were on the outside looking in. You didn't have anything spiritually. You were strangers and aliens, but now you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. Quite a transformation, isn't it? At one time you were this, but now you're this. At one time you were on the outside looking in. Strangers, foreigners, aliens. But now you're citizens of God's kingdom and you're members of His household. At one time they had nothing and now they have everything. What's the difference? What caused that change, that transformation to take place? 
It's all about Jesus. Jesus changes everything. Jesus takes us from having nothing spiritually to where we're able to have all spiritual blessings in Christ. So that's the transformation for the Gentiles in Ephesians chapter 2. Where are you tonight? What does your life look like spiritually? Do you have nothing? Or do you have everything? Do you feel like you're in a position now when you read through this text where you're separated from Christ? Right now, are you alienated from God's chosen people, the church? Right now, are you living without hope? Separated from the new covenant that Jesus has made in His blood? Right now, are you living a worldly life without God? If you are, you don't have to stay there. Jesus changed everything for them, and He can change everything for you. Jesus can bring you close to God. Verse 13, Jesus can bring you peace. He can bring unity. Jesus can bring you where you have unlimited access to the Father. What a change. What a transformation. A transformation that's only available through Jesus. Jesus changes everything. We could talk about it all night long. But it's not going to make a difference in your life until you accept it. If you have nothing, then come. Have everything. Allow Jesus to give that to you as together we stand and sing the song that's been selected.